What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, thank you for joining. I am your host, Ethan Bridge. Before I dive into the intro, I'd greatly appreciate if you pulled out your phone, opened up the podcast app and left a five star rating and review. It literally takes a matter of seconds and you don't even have to stop listening. On today's episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking to Alan Dibb. Alan is a serial entrepreneur, rebellious marketer, and technology expert. He has started, grown, and successfully exited multiple businesses in various industries. His last business was in the hyper-competitive telecommunications industry. It went from startup to four years later being named by Business Review Weekly as one of Australia's fastest growing companies, earning a spot in the Fast 100 list. Alan is passionate about helping businesses find new and innovative ways to leverage technology and marketing to facilitate rapid business growth. As a highly sought after business coach, consultant and public speaker, he frequently shares his proven strategies and cutting edge tactics with people all over the world. A prime example of this is through his book, The One Page Marketing Plan. Alan wrote the book he had wished he had when starting his entrepreneurial journey. And to date, he sold over 200,000 copies, which has helped entrepreneurs worldwide troubleshoot their marketing plans and unlock the door to exponential growth. Huffington Post named it one of the top 10 marketing books for small to medium-sized businesses. Alan is an expert when it comes to marketing. You could have the most incredible product or service in the world, but if no one knows about it, then what's the point? You need to be an incredible marketer and Alan will teach you how. At the end of the day, the best marketer always wins. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. I have an incredible guest lined up for you today, and this is the one and only Alan Dibb. Alan, how are you doing this fine day today? Hey, Ethan, I'm awesome, and it's a pleasure to be on the show. The pleasure is all mine, and I can't thank you enough for joining me. I can't wait to dive into your journey and what you have to talk about today. For sure, so, for sure. For the listeners that don't know who you are, if you don't mind just giving a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please. Yeah, so uh, my name's Alan Dibb. I'm the author of the One Page Marketing Plan. It's been um, one of the top-selling marketing books for the last three years. Um, I spend my days helping small business owners from around the world develop their own internal marketing capabilities. So um, that's what I do all day long. Awesome. Short and sweet. That's how we like it. (laughs) Can't wait to dive into that a bit more later on in the episode. But the way I like to start all my episodes is by throwing it back with my guests and sort of asking them about their childhood. So let's focus on a 14-year-old version of yourself and focus specifically of you in school. So how were you at school? Were you the class clown? Were you a straight A student? Or did you sort of just coast, cruise along, see how it went and just (laughs) did what you needed to do? No, I, I, I was neither of those things. I was the nerdy uh, kid before nerds were kind of cool and, um, and rich. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was the nerdy, quiet kid, ha- had a few friends, wasn't terribly popular or terribly unpopular, just sort of coasted through, was not a particularly 
didn't do particularly well in grades or school or anything like that. So um, I, I think at uh, one stage, even teachers uh, thought that I either had a hearing problem or a learning, uh, a slow learning disability. So, um, so yeah, I can't say that I was a straight A student either. That's fine. I like what you say uh, before nerds were cool, because to be honest, they definitely are now. I mean, they tend to go on to do the best things and they sort of can look back at the end of the day and stick a middle finger up and be like, well, look at me now. <laughs> very much so, very much so. And I think just most of school, when I look back, I was just bored, you know, it just wasn't stuff that really, um, uh, really interested me or inspired me or anything like that. So uh, I think that's where a lot of my, um, where a lot of my issues came from. What did inspire you in school and what kept you pushing through? Um, in, in school, I wouldn't say very much. Outside of school, I was really interested in tech and, um, you know, computers sort of in the 90s were just uh, like a new thing. And this was actually before the internet. I was on, uh, you know, someone as young as you probably wouldn't even know what I'm talking about, but local bulletin boards, they were, you'd have a dial-up modem that dialed other computers and you'd exchange music and graphics and all of that sort of stuff. So that was a, it was called a bulletin board system and this is uh yeah predating the internet which uh, shows my age a little bit <laughs> actually then then not predating the internet but before the internet was like a a common thing i think the internet used to be used in universities and military and all of that at the time but the general consumer or whatever really the people at the cutting edge were just using modems and bulletin boards and things like that so would you say that you've always been entrepreneurial then or was that something that sort of came upon you later on did you sort of get a corporate job beforehand go into the nine to five working environment or have you always very much been work for yourself on your own um i did try the nine to five um, i tried a couple of jobs and the longest i lasted was about six months until i either quit or got fired so uh, it wasn't really uh wasn't really for me so uh, i did a few tech jobs and things like that um and yeah i just um it just wasn't for me so i started my my own it business pretty early on um and yeah i dropped out of uni i was in university at the time and uh I thought I'll take a year off and I'll see how this thing goes. And I started my first business and um, yeah, that's where it all started. That's where the entrepreneurial seizure as Michael Gerber sometimes says started. <laughs> so what was that first business? Where did it all begin? Uh, yeah, it all began. Um, uh, I started my business life as a dead broke IT geek. I was like good at the tech stuff. I was always had a bit of an aptitude for, for computers and technology and all of that sort of stuff. My, bedroom uh, was like the Starship Enterprise console, you know, had computers and wires everywhere and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, like I said, I, I spent most of my teenage years in locked in my bedroom with uh, computers and stuff like that. Um, so, um, yeah, so I started my first IT business and I thought, well, cool, you know, what, why do I have to work for this idiot uh, boss? Um, I know all the tech stuff, so why don't I start a tech company and I thought that's all all the all the smarts you needed right you uh, you know if you know tech you can start a tech company and you'll be really successful and um, you know that was not exactly the way it went <laughs> so what went wrong uh, well what went wrong was um, I just didn't know how to get clients in the door that's as simple as that um, so it's very and you know I don't know if anyone can relate to this but um, you know it's very frustrating being really really good at what you do 
but not being able to get clients in the door and pay the bills and all those sorts of things. And, you know, the thing that frustrated me even more were was that there were um, competing companies who were technically far inferior to to me and, and my business and what we were doing. And they were running circles around us uh, into financially. They were doing really, really well financially. This was now, I think, um, early 2000s. There was that um, tech boom going on and all of that. And um, they were doing really, really well. And in fact, they would sometimes even hire us to train them on the latest technology and uh, because we were always up with the latest tech. And, um, and you know, they would do much, much better financially and from a marketing and sales perspective. And we were these uh, tech geeks who just um, had a lot of trouble kind of getting clients in the door. The clients that we had, they loved us and they loved the service that we provided, but we just didn't have enough of them. Well, I suppose where that's the whole marketing thing comes in then, because you could say you could be the best business with the best product, but if you don't know how to market it, then no one's going to know about it. So the best marketer always, always wins, really. So is that what sparked your interest in marketing when you thought, right, how, how on earth do I get more clients through the door? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I, I distinctly remember walking to lunch one day with one of my, uh, with, with my business partner at the time. And I said, look, we've got a really great business here. We, we've got really good margins. Our customers love what we do. Um, so we've kind of cracked the major thing. And then there's this little minor thing called sales and marketing that we need to crack. And li- little did I know that um, I was really mixing up my majors and my minors. Yes, it's important to have a good product, good service, but the major thing is trying to figure out how did you how do you get reliably new clients and new prospects in the door and so that took me on on a, about a decade long journey um, I attended seminars I read books I hired coaches all of that sort of stuff um, and uh, yeah it probably took me about a decade to really figure it out but once I once I did um, uh, really I was never the same again because um, now I was able to grow my business reliably. It became a national business and I ended up exiting that business for more money than I'd ever seen in my life. Like, uh, you know, I was not from a wealthy background at all. So, um, you know, to see that uh, check when, um, you know, with a lot of zeros on it, when I exited that, that business was a really cool, cool thing. Well, congratulations as well. And am <laughs> I right? Am I right in saying, I'll cut this out if I'm wrong, but am I right in saying that, your company was one of the fastest growing startups in the country. Uh, that was the the company I started after that. So oh, okay. it wasn't it wasn't that one. It was the the, the next tech company that I started after that. So what was that one? Because I yeah, mean, so if one... you've already if you've already made a hell of a lot hell of a lot of money from the first one, I guess that can sort sort of kickstart the next one because you've got the money to fund it. But you've still it got it... a hell of a lot of work in. It did. It did. I mean, the, the sale of that business, um, you know, paid off my my house, paid off all my debts. I've managed to buy nice cars and things like that. Um, but really, uh, then and then was the seed capital for the next business, which was a telecommunications company. So we built that from zero to four years later, being one of Australia's fastest 100 growing uh, companies. We were named by BRW Magazine, uh, Business Review Magazine, as uh, one of Australia's top 100 fastest growing companies, which was really cool. Um, and then I, I exited that company as well. I, I sold that. And that's um, 
that's that really you know took uh, took me to a to a next level um, both financially and you know in terms of the things that I learned growing a really really fast company and um, and yeah so that was a really really cool experience as well. I mean that's incredible and what uh, what an amazing achievement to have one of the fastest growing startups in a, in, a, in the whole of Australia. So, I mean, it's not a small country. So it's, it's, it's its no. own continent. It's its own continent. For Christ. <laughs> I mean, so that is, that is saying something. So, but obviously your passion and interest and knowledge in marketing has obviously helped for this. So that's yes. what I really want to talk about today and your book, the one page marketing plan, because yeah. that's sort of obviously what you do now when you teach other people. So, I mean, we throw this word marketing around as just, as just this whole idea. And I never really hear people define it. It's sort of, we just know, we sort of seem to think we know what it is, but no one really defines it. So what is your definition of marketing? Yeah, so um, I've got a... Um... Uh, I've got like a long, bit of a long-winded definition of marketing in in the book, and it's sort of illustrated. But uh, so I, I won't read the whole thing out. But basically, when it comes down to it, marketing is the strategy you use for getting your ideal target market to know you, like you, and trust you enough to become a customer. So, because there's so many weird definitions of marketing, some people say it's kind of branding. Some people say it's getting your name out there. Um, some people say it's you know people, uh, you know, uh, thinking of you when they think of and all of those things are sort of applied to marketing and a part of it, but. Really, it's the strategy you use to get your ideal target market to know you, like you, and trust you enough to become a customer. And so, yes, branding is part of it and, you know, getting your name out there is all part of it and all of that sort of thing. But really, it comes down to uh, putting together a strategy. And when I say strategy, strategy is just a fancy word for blueprint. So if we were going to build a house, and and I and in fact, I recently had that experience. I, I just moved into this house about six months ago and we spent about two years uh, building it. But for this first six months, um, we were working with the architect, we were working with the council, we were getting, um, you know, permission to build in the things of a certain size and all of that sort of thing. Um, with the architect, we were working out, right, where's the pool going to go? Where's the balcony going to be? Which way is it going to face? And all of those sorts of things. So we spent a lot of time on the, the strategy, on, on the blueprint. And so we essentially built the house before we built it. And that's what I think you really need to do with marketing. So many people just kind of, all right, cool, just do kind of random stuff. Like they do random acts of marketing that, oh, let's rebuild our website. Let's do some pay-per-click or, uh, hey, let's rebrand or let's do a new logo or whatever. And not, I'm not saying any of those things are bad things, but you need to figure out what's the blueprint, what's the big picture, what, are, what, where are we going, and then what do we need to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're going. And, and that thing is normally called a marketing plan. And so that's why I spend um, a lot of time, uh, you know, helping people put together their marketing plan, helping them put together that blueprint and that strategy, so they really have clarity on exactly what to do around marketing, and then. We plug in the tactical things. We we plug in the pay-per-click, whatever, LinkedIn, if it's relevant, Instagram, direct mail, whatever whatever it is, email marketing and so on and so forth. But too many people think of the tactics first without having the strategic side figured out. And I think that sums it up perfectly, to be honest. And especially with 
the Christmas period coming up. We're seeing so many brands now putting these Christmas adverts out and trying to obviously attract their customers for Christmas. But who do you think, as from your perspective and as someone who has a very keen eye and is very knowledgeable in this space, who do you think are the best brands at the moment in terms in terms of marketing? Um, in, in terms of the best brands, I think um, uh, I mean th- there's the traditional kind of uh, brands, but there are there are a lot of up and comers. Like um, like if you think about it. Um, like I think about things like Dollar Shave Club, right, which didn't exist a couple of years ago. I don't know. I can't remember exactly when, when they came mm. out. But basically, you look at what they're doing, right? They're selling the same cheap razor blades that you'd buy anywhere in the store, but they, they just changed, a, a, put a little bit of twist on it, created a subscription service, um, and they recently sold to Unilever, I believe, for about a, mil- a billion dollars. So... Um, so there's a lot of people leveraging um, technology and there's a lot of people leveraging, um, you know, where the market is headed. It's kind of like um, you rem- we all remember Blockbuster Video. Now there's only one Blockbuster Video store left in all, all the world and it's in Oregon and it's now become a tourist attraction. People come and take selfies in front of it. And, you know, when you think about it, they owned that audience. They had the whole audience of people who uh, were into movies, TV shows and all of that sort of thing. And they just let it slip through their hand. They let Netflix and all the other streaming services come in and, and basically take over. They, they ignored that. So the best brands are the people who are really have their finger on the pulse of where technology is headed and really understanding, um, you know, uh, what's going to disrupt your industry. So th- that's one of the discussions I often have with clients is um, what's going to disrupt you? What's going to kill your business? So if you were in the taxi business a few years ago, or if you were in the book business a few years ago, or if you were in the video rental business a few years ago, you needed to be thinking about, right, what's this in, What's this internet thing, streaming and online books and all of this, what's this going to do to disrupt my business? And so, um, you know, whenever you, you're kind of coasting and think, think things are going really well, that's probably just about when something is going to come out of the marketplace and disrupt you. So you need to be thinking about what's, what's coming. And I love the Dollar Shave Club example there as well, because I mean, it's not like shaving's a new thing. Shaving's been around for (laughs) God knows how long. They've just been able to add that little technological twist and sort of, they've in a way future, but I mean, their subscription service is brilliant. I don't use it myself, but I know people that do, and it's pretty much worldwide now, and they've been able to capture that market. I mean, it's just convenience as well, isn't it? You don't have to leave your house nowadays, and I think that's where... Amazon especially are absolutely killing the game. Like that, Jeff Bezos is a genius. Like the amount of yes. stuff he that man's come up with, and hence why he's the richest man in the world. Yeah, well, I believe I think Amazon is now about half of all online e-commerce, which is extraordinary. I mean, and if you thought if you were to say that even six, seven years ago, you wouldn't have you wouldn't yeah. have even thought that, would you? So, no. as you say brands keeping up the time and making sure that they are able to adapt to the, all of these changes. So I do want to ask you about your book, the one page marketing plan, because I mean, it's not every day someone starts or writes a book. And then as you say, three years time, it has over 1,000 five star reviews on Amazon. Yes. That's pretty impressive. 
So if you were to pick up this book as a brand new reader, what can somebody expect from it? What, why have you written it and what can you expect to get from it? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I wrote the book that I wish I had when I was first learning marketing. And in fact, even before it was a book, it was a process. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that more in a moment. But um, I spent so much time going to seminars, learning, reading books and things like that. And um, I, I got value from almost everything that was out there. Um, I always got a, a, a good n- nugget from from a book or a seminar or, or, whatever, or a course that I was doing or something like that. But there was nothing that I could find, especially at the time. I don't know if there's something out there now other than, than some of my material, but there was nothing that really gave me the big picture, which was like, um, you know, start from here, step one, step two, step three, so on and so forth. Um, there was stuff that had like weird concepts. It was like, you know, how to be creative, how to do branding and all these weird concepts that I just didn't understand. Um, I just want to know how do I get new clients in the door? And there was nothing that I could see that gave me that big picture that stepped me through step one, step two, step three. And, you know, I had to spend a decade kind of piecing that together from little bits of pieces of information and putting that all together. So um, I wrote the book I wish I had at the time. I wrote the book I wish um, someone had handed me. Uh, and the book, even prior to the book, I created that process. And I created that process for my clients because I was now, after I'd sold my second business, I was working with clients and helping them with their marketing because uh, a lot of people had seen my uh, my success with uh, certainly this uh, f- the first business and the second business and were asking for help with their own marketing and so one of the things that i asked them to do is to put together a marketing plan and i got a lot of pushback you know people said too hard too difficult not sure where to start don't know what to do um and so i created that pro the one page marketing planning process because uh, i wanted something that was quick and easy something that someone could literally fill in 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 20 or 30 minutes um, get a lot of clarity around their marketing and know what to do uh, and be practical because I remember in my first business I hired a, a consultant I was paid him thousands of dollars and we put together a business plan and a marketing plan and it was like 70 80 pages long and it had charts and graphs and stuff and you know I just shoved that in the top drawer of my desk and didn't see it ever again until I was moving out of the office and you know, dusted it off tossed it in the trash and then um, you know I thought what a waste of money that was um, but you know, so I'm, when I was think, asking my own clients to put together a marketing plan, I wanted something practical that they could literally pin up in their office or have sitting on their desk and something that they, they could actually use and implement on a regular basis. And so uh, I came up with a one-page marketing planning process, compliance rates shot up, people really felt that they got a lot of clarity. I iterated and changed the the, the model somewhat. And then um, we have the one-page marketing plan canvas, which we have today. And uh, and then I wrote the book uh, a book based on the process because I wanted to get it out to a wider audience. For sure. And I mean, I wish podcasts, my, this podcast on Apple was visual as well, because I've got the template on my screen now and just sort of for people that are listening. So it's essentially, it's nine squares split into rows of before, during, and after. And each before, during, and after, they each are allocated three squares, correct? Yes. So for people that are listening, just explain the process of the before, during, and after, and then how they would 
go about planning each point? Yeah, so the, the before, the during, and the after, sometimes it's called um, awareness, conversion, delivery. Um, I, I sort of t took a term used by Dean Jackson, which is the before, during, after. I, I like that. I think that's simpler. But basically, um, the first phase is awareness or the before phase. And it's before someone even knows that you exist. So um, you need to think about... Um, who do you want to target? You know, who's my target market? What message am I going to uh, deliver to that target market? And then how am I going to reach that target market? What media am I going to, to reach them with? And that kind of is the awareness phase or the before phase. And then when someone's aware of you, um, the next phase is the, the during phase. And that's when we want to capture that lead. We want to nurture the lead and then we want to convert that lead to a paying client. And so that's the during phase. And a lot of people think marketing ends there. Like, you know, once someone's purchased from you, that's it. Marketing's done, right? Well, wrong. The real, the real money is made in the after phase. And that's where we deliver a world-class experience, where we increase lifetime value, and then we orchestrate and stimulate referrals. And so, like I said, that's where the, the real money is made. And so they're the three phases. And each, like, like you said, each phase is split up into three, uh, three steps. So if you visualize a single page with nine squares on that page, that's what the one-page marketing plan canvas uh, looks like. And if, if you want to download a, um, uh, a copy of the a blank uh, one-page marketing plan canvas, you can do so at, at my website, successwise.com. It's free, of course, um, and you can, you can download that. And that, that will give you the template where you can start creating the, that marketing plan. So in terms of methods of marketing then, what, in your opinion, what are the best methods of marketing today? Because, I mean, I'm driving in my car, I turn the radio on and I still hear businesses advertising on this platform. I drive past bus stops, there's still adverts being on bus stops. And I do think, hmm, could their money be better spent elsewhere? But then again, I can contradict that by saying I drove past a bus stop the other day and there was an Amazon advert. And we mentioned hmm. Jeff Bezos was a genius. Why on earth would he be pumping money into bust bust up effort so it clearly works somewhat so do you agree with people saying that radio is dying tv is dying or do you think that it still can be useful uh, absolutely absolutely can be useful the the, th the thing is to really understand that str strategy changes with scale and so things that you do as a multi-billion dollar company are things that you you probably you maybe shouldn't do as a million dollar company or half a million dollar company or or whatever it is right so if you've got millions of dollars years to get a result um then great um you, going with a mass market approach is something that that might and could possibly work for for you um but strategy changes with scale and it's kind of like i illustrate it like this like um if you look at a um uh, at a um you know, someone who's a big, well-known property investor. Who's a big, well-known property mogul in the UK? Like, who? Oh, I, I don't only follow, I tend to follow the American ones because the houses are nicer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, let's, let's think about, um, you know, if we're thinking about people who build towers, let's take tr Donald Trump, right? Like Trump Tower, right? So, um, so he's a, uh, he, he builds buildings, right? And so he, he's working on a different scale than someone who's maybe a property investor who just buys 
one or two houses to kind of rent out. Uh, so he's building building a whole building. So if I if if you as a small investor took his strategy and said, look, I'm going to build a tower, but I'm not going to build the whole hundred stories. I can only afford to build one or two stories. That's not going to work, right? You need to build the whole hundred stories. You need to be able to have the firepower to go all the way. And that's what I talk about with marketing. You need, if you're going to do a mass marketing approach, you need the firepower to be able to execute on that. And by firepower, I mean the budget and the time, right? So yes, you can build a, a strong brand with mass marketing with, you know, um, you know, pictures on billboards and bus stops and mass media and TV and radio and all of that, it, that it, clearly it does work, but you need millions of dollars. You need years uh, to get a result uh, before you kind of start getting that mind share. So that's, that's a strategy for very large businesses. It works, but it, it, you need to be work, operating on a completely different scale. The stuff that works for small businesses is what's called direct response marketing. And that's where we, we put in a certain amount of money into very, very targeted campaigns. So we're not saying we're, ta we're targeting a mass audience, we're targeting everybody. We need to be very, very specific. So um, we might be talk uh, targeting people who are in the, you know, in golf, right, who are golf nuts. And so if we're targeting people who are uh, amateurs, who are really into golf, um, then now we can be very targeted. We can target specific publications that they read, specific blogs that they read, Facebook groups that they're part of. And so we can, we can target them very, very specifically. And then we have an offer that they would respond to. So we have an emotionally driven copy where we, we drive them to take some kind of action. That's why it's called direct response marketing. We're, expe we're expecting a response. And that response could be anything from, you know, calling a, a phone number, uh, setting an appointment, opting into a website, um, downloading a, a brochure or a free report or a video series or, or whatever it is. And so we want them to take an action because uh, two things, we want to capture them as leads in our system. And we also want, want to be able to measure the, the results of our marketing. We want to be able to say, look, we spent $10,000 on Facebook ads. We had a thousand people opt in out of those thousand people that opted in, we had, uh, you know, a thousand, you know, we had 500 people who uh, had, a, a, you know, had inquiries and conversations. And then we had a hundred people who purchased and there's out of those hundred people that purchased on average, they spent $1,500. So our return on investment on that $10,000 was $15,000, whatever it is. So we're, we're able now to kind of, make marketing accountable because when you do mass marketing, when you do billboard style marketing and all of that, like Coca-Cola doesn't know which billboard made you buy that Coca-Cola, right? So, and often it's cumulative. You might've seen it on TV. You might've seen it a billboard. You might just be thirsty or, or whatever it is. Whereas with direct response marketing, everything's measurable throughout the whole process. We know, uh, which ad you responded to, um, you know, ha the the funnel that you went through. And so we can test, measure and iterate on an ongoing basis. And I suppose that helps solve the problem of the whole money aspect as well. Because I think a lot of people, that's why they skip corners when it comes to marketing, because they think it's going to be too expensive. So they think, oh, that can't do that. So I won't do that sort of thing. But as you say, with direct response marketing, you can pinpoint specific niches you can measure and make sure you aren't wasting money as such yes 
Yes, there's a, there's a lot of waste when it, when it comes to advertising because, um, you know, there, there's either three scenarios. There's um, you, you got a return on investment, you didn't get a return on investment, or the third and most common scenario is you don't know, you know. So, you, you know, um, I think it's working. I'm not sure. I, th- I got a customer the other day or I got an inquiry the other day, but I'm not quite sure. So direct response marketing removes all of that uncertainty. We know exactly how much we spent. We know exactly um, how many people responded. We know how much we made over time. Uh, and, uh, you know, that makes marketing much, much more accountable. Okay, then. So let's put this into a little scenario. So let's say you're releasing, let's say the one page marketing plan hasn't released yet. And you haven't got any credibility from past books, nothing. You are a brand new author, you have the success of your previous businesses. And you're just releasing the one page marketing plan tomorrow. How would you go about marketing this book? Well, I was in exactly that same position three years ago. So I was, this is my first book. I was not a known author or anything like that. And so, um, first of all, uh, and I have a process and I, I've helped people with their own book launches. I've, I've got uh, a whole process around that. But um, first of all, you do need to make it a really good book, right? But pe- too many people think that that's the main um, that's the main work of an author. Yes, you do you do have to write a really good book. But uh, too many people think if you if you just write that really good book, then that's all you need to do, and people will automatically buy it. And that's not true at all. That's fifty percent of the the work. The other fifty percent is the marketing, the promotion, and things like that. So what I what I found, and I agonized over the title for a long time. Uh, the title is super important, and especially now with the world of Amazon, because Amazon is essentially an, uh, a search engine. So people are going to be typing um, something into Amazon, and they're not going to be typing something general. They're going to be typing something specific. So in my case, people type in marketing plan. So I wanted the word marketing plan in the title. So there's almost like a little bit of SEO going on going on there so title super important the other thing is you want the title to actually explain what it is you, you like you don't want the title to be you know like a, some weird word or or a, I often see like there's a single word or something like that and that's okay if you're already well-known author and you've got a following but if you're brand new um, people aren't going to spend the time to try and figure out what does your weird title mean. So the title should equal exactly what's in the book. And so that that's really what um, the, the title super important. Then if you think a bit, uh, if you continue thinking of um, Amazon as that search engine. So once someone uh, you know, brings up your, your, your search term, um, you want to, the cover to be, to really pop on the page. Sometimes I see that um, there are like white covers, which when your web web browser is all white as well, it kind of gets all washed out. So you want uh, a little, uh, and remember in the search results, your book cover is actually gonna be quite small. So you want the font and the book cover to really pop and you want the font to be easily readable um, in a thumbnail. So, um, So title, cover, and then the third tip I would give you is the first, you know, 10 or 15 pages. A lot of people waste that on, you know, about the author telling their history and their story, how they started and all of that. I shoved all of that stuff in the back because no one really cares about that. Really, the first 10, 15 pages of the book where people kind of get that preview, that's the sales letter for the book. So you need to really... Uh, 
you know, start with start very, very strong and with your most powerful um, material right up front because that will entice someone to click the, the buy now button. So those would be the three tips I would give a, a new author who's launching um, on Amazon. The other thing is also to have a an author platform. By that, I mean, you know, Amazon doesn't disclose the details of the people who buy the book. And so that, that's a problem because if you release another book or if you want to keep in touch with your audience, you have no way of doing that unless you get people in the book to opt in. So, uh, you know, have a system where people can go to your website, opt in and join uh, a mailing list and keep in touch with you. So have you got any more books in the pipeline? I do. I do. I have two more books in the pipeline. Unfortunately, I've been able to work on them as much as I've, I've wanted to. We've had a lot of big projects on the go. Uh, we've just launched a course based on the first book. But uh, yes, there's, uh, there's two more books on the, in the pipeline. Awesome. How's the course going? The course is going really well. Yeah, we, we actually launched yesterday and it's been going really, really strong. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah, it's been, Perfect. it's been going really well. Perfect yeah. opportunity to jump on a few podcasts and tell people about it then. Yeah. I think I think courses are really interesting. I think because especially in, I mean, especially young entrepreneurs nowadays, this thing called drop shipping is a huge thing. And basically, for those that don't know, listening, it's you ship a product. You have a website with a bunch of products on it, and you ship the product straight from AliExpress to the buyer. Just the buyer doesn't know because your marketing is great, and it doesn't look like you are buying the product from AliExpress. But then these, there's so many of these young guys that or or girls that are just releasing courses. And I think especially the author, it lacks authenticity and it lacks credibility, but I think that's where people get confused with courses. But the fact that you've built your brand, people know what you're talking about. You've done it yourself. You've built Mm. two extremely successful businesses. You've got incredibly successful book that your course is going to do incredible. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's been doing really, really well so far. And you know, I I spent, a lot of like people have been asking me for a course ever since the book came out and I've kind of said coming soon, coming soon. I didn't want to create a course that was going to be just kind of what I call shelfware. Like a lot of people were like, I, and you know, everyone's had that experience where they bought a course and never really gone through it or net or gone through the first few modules and got bored or, or it feels too overwhelming. Like I recently bought a course and it had like 12 modules and they were each like 90 minutes long. And I'm like, where would I find the time to even just go through this material, let alone implement it? And so uh, I really wanted to create a course that was uh, had the minimum effective dose. So where, you know, busy business owners like you and I, we don't have to, we don't have time to spend, you know, you know, a crazy amount of hours on, you know, going through a course. I wanted it to be effective, actionable. And more importantly, I wanted it to help people know how to think rather than, uh, just telling them what buttons to press because saying, you know, do this on Facebook or do that on, on LinkedIn or whatever, that stuff is going to uh, age and that stuff is going to be superseded very quickly. And the course is very much around helping people to figure out how to think around marketing and the stuff that's going to be timeless on an ongoing basis. For sure. And I think that's, that's the key. You just want something that you can sit down, plow through and get done and then implement. You don't, as you say, you don't want something mm. that you can sit there and find hours to actually get through the thing. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a great, great selling point. So you've dropped some incredible value 
throughout this episode and I can't thank you enough, but we're not quite done because I like to round off my episodes with three questions on three topics that I don't believe are discussed enough. And these are money, relationships and death. Death, I know morbid to end the episode, but I love the answers. <laughs> they, are, they tend to be extremely interesting, so no pressure. Um, okay. But the first one in relation to money, I personally don't... The question, I'll start by saying the question. The question is, what does the word success mean to you? And I'll say why I think some people relate it to money. is because if we're having a conversation and I go, oh, this person's really successful, the first thing that would pop to your head tend to be, how much money do they make? And you yeah. sort of depend, you sort of put someone's success as how much money they make. And I think that should be almost not thought about that way. I think you should also be thinking, right, okay, how successful are they in their relationships? How successful are they in their mental health? All these other different topics. And I think that's something that just isn't done enough. So mm. what does the word success mean to you? Yeah, to, to, to me, it's about creating a lifestyle uh, where you you kind of call the shots. Um, so, and that's one of the reasons that I love um, business because uh, it's all about building the uh, the lifestyle that you you really want. Like so many, you know, I, I've I, I know some billionaires, and you know, they're like in their seventies or eighties, and they still do crazy hours in the office, and I think what's the point, you know, unless they're, they're just really, really enjoying it, which is, which is totally fine as well. Right. Like to, to some people like building, uh, you know, bigger, bigger numbers and is like their purpose in life. But, uh, to me, success is being really well-rounded money is a big part of that, of course, you know, because, mm. you know, you can't get very far. I, I talk about in my book, money is like oxygen, right? So you can't get very far without it. Right. It doesn't mean that it's everything, but it's a, it is a big thing. It's a big pillar. So you need to fix the, the money issues in your life and kind of get, get money out of the way so that you can concentrate on um, building a, a lifestyle that, um, you know, that you enjoy, that's fun, that you, you, you're not dreading Monday morning, that Monday you're looking forward to Monday morning, Monday morning's fun, you know? So, um, so that's, that's my view superb and obviously thank you for that. I, th I like the way that you've actually said that a lot of people do bounce around and say oh money isn't at all but I personally think obviously it's I think the same way as you it is a pillar and you do need it to build on everything else yeah. as well so I like I do like that you said that I think that's really good so the next question with regards to relationships is throughout your journey so far have you found it difficult to maintain relationships whether that's with friends family loved one significant other or have you found a way for those closest to you to experience your journey with you yeah look look i would say a bit of both as i've matured i've gotten more balanced um one of my one of my i guess it's a both a gift and a curse is i'm very very focused and sometimes when i'm very focused i'm just like single-minded like the book i literally wrote that in i think it was about 30 or 40 days and so i was spending like 16 hour days writing um, nonstop, um, ignoring the phone, ignoring everybody, and then um, just getting that project done because I didn't want to have to procrastinate on it for like a year or, or whatever. And so after the month was over and my writing time was done, I apologized to everyone, returned all the phone calls, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, so um, 
so you can have a bit of an unbalanced approach, and I certainly used to, but now I, I think I'm, I'm a lot more balanced when it comes to relationships and maintaining the, the, those things because, uh, you know, you do need to think of them almost like a bank account. You know, you, 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 know, you, can, take, you can continue taking out of a bank account, but you do need that's not going to work for very long. You're going to, you need, you need to replenish that bank account, put, uh, depo put deposits back in. So um, I think about relationships the same way. Um, what are you putting in uh, as well as what are you taking out? For sure. Do you think you can completely switch off from work then now? Um, now I definitely find that uh, easier. So I, I used to have a lot of trouble with that. Um, now, now I um, I've put a few barriers into place. So like, uh, even though I've got a laptop here on my desk, it actually never ever leaves my office. Um, when I go to bed, I try and leave my phone outside of the bedroom as well. So, um, it, it, I mean, obviously there are exceptions when I'm working on a big project or I've got a tight deadline or something like that. Then, um, then you know, sometimes you do need to break the rules, but as a general rule, you need to put in boundaries. I've got a separate um, office in my house where I work out of. So, uh, you know, I'm not just carrying my work around the, the, the house uh, all the time and thinking about it. So uh, I, I do try to create that separation. But having said that, um, a lot of people create too much separation, I think, because people like hate their job and then they can't wait till the weekend or can't wait to knock off uh, at five o'clock or whatever. And, you know, we spend too much of our lives working to, to kind of hate it. So you need to do something that you, you love doing and that, that, you know, that doesn't feel like work. I completely agree. It's brilliant. So final question and depressing way to end the episode, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> the question is in relation to death. And I think this is, I think it's an interesting question is because, because no one ever asks questions in relation to death. So mm -hmm. the question is, are you afraid of dying? Um, I, th I don't think I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of dying before my best work is done. You know, like I think someone said it's dying with your music still inside you. Too many people do that. And I think, my best is still yet to come. Uh, you know, I've done some good stuff, but I, I think my best is yet to come. And so, um, you know, we know that it's inevitable. We know that we've got a finite amount of time. And so getting done the things you need, you, you want to get done in that time. Um, and as far as we know, we've only got one of these. So, um, so we, you know, it's, um, it's really uh, incumbent on you to make sure that, um you're using that time wisely because you can always make more money. Money is a renewable resource, but you can't get more time. So you want to spend that wisely. And that's something I definitely live by as well. Um, so you must set the bar very high for yourself then, because a lot of people would look at you and go, cool, he's already succeeded. He's done so well. He's built these two great businesses. He's come out. He's now working, teaching other people how to replicate what he did, this, that, and the other. To say that you still think you've got your best to come, that's setting the bar quite high, I suppose. Well, I think, you know, you're either growing or you're rotting, you know. So if, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so uh, you, 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 can, you can kind of just stop. But I think, um, you know, I think the human experience is designed to be pushing to the next level, pushing to the next level, pushing to the next level. I think, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of people when they retire, um, and they don't have something to fill that retirement with, often 
they die pretty quickly or they get very sick or whatever. And I think um, that's a lesson. I, I think you're either you're either growing or you're or you're rotting. You know, there's no just kind of coasting. Yeah, I just get so bored when I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I feel yeah. as if I've 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 got this thing because I am young and I've got the energy at the moment. I mean, I'm not saying you lose the energy when you get older, but I think it's much easier for me to just keep going. Like, I mean. At the moment, I work through this on this throughout my whole evening. Something I switching off is definitely something I need to work on because mm. my sleep my sleep is atrocious, and I mm. and I hold my hands in the air. My sleep is atrocious. That is something I need to improve on. But yeah, I, th- I think I'd just get bored if I were wasn't constantly striving to improve. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, and that you know you got to get good sleep. That's uh, that's one of the best productivity hacks that are that are out there. You know, people talk about productivity hacks and how they can use some app or whatever to save a few minutes or whatever. But um, if you're not sharp mentally, and you won't be if you're not getting good sleep, um, that's really not going to be uh, helpful to your business. Not going to be helpful to your relationships either. No, for sure, and that's something I know I need to sort. But that is all I have for you with regards to questions, and thank you for answering them all. Um, incredible answers and a lot of value provided, I must say. So now it's over to you. Where can my listeners follow up with you? Should they have any questions? They want to connect? Where can they find your book, your course? Spread it all. Yeah. So um, uh, my my book is available on Amazon and all bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Um, I know it's available all throughout the UK as well. Um, uh, you can grab a, a copy of the one page marketing plan canvas on my website, which is successwise.com and we'll provide links to all of that. You can download the canvas for free, um, and basically start working on your marketing plan. Don't do random acts of marketing. Get, just get it done. For sure. And I will leave those all in the show notes below. So anyone listening, don't worry about remembering, simply scroll down and click simple as that. But once again, Alan, thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. Awesome to be on. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week. So you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals.